The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday. It's our show about the changing nature of work and how that work is changing us. If you'd known me when I was younger, what you would have known about me was that I was a French horn player. I was really serious about it. In the run-up to college, I practiced several hours every day. My favorite piece to play was Dvorak's New World Symphony. In this piece, the horns had this way of lifting the mood from soft and sleepy to leaping and alive. Here, just listen to this phrase. about what it felt like to be inside an orchestra and to perform that phrase. But you know, when I was performing it, I very rarely practiced exactly that. Instead, to become good at it, I practiced scales. I played other types of music. I ran drills to make my mouth move faster. Your mouth had to move so fast in that piece of music. I took up running to build my lung capacity. And the sum of all that practice, well, that became a performance that I took pride in. I thought about this a lot while I was reading Eduardo Brasino's new book. It's called The Performance Paradox, Turning the Power of Mindset into Action. The book's a crash course in the specifics of how we actually get better at things. Eduardo studied at Stanford with the pioneer of growth mindsets, Carol Dweck. We talk about this a lot on our show, about Carol and her work, about the idea that people with a growth mindset believe they can improve at things, And this is more important than simply being good at something. But blind faith is not enough, of course. Not if you don't know how to go about learning how to improve. Eduardo's focused on learning cultures. He helps companies develop these cultures. He wants us all to work smarter, not harder. In our conversation today, Eduardo will help us to drill down into what growth mindset really means for our lives. He'll encourage us to find a balance between performing and learning. And he'll use LinkedIn itself as an example of what it can look like to put these techniques into practice within a team. I think about the years in my life when I was at the peak of my horn performance. I could play so well because I knew how to improve, to make sure that every performance was better than the last. It's not enough to believe you can grow. You also need to know how to grow, how to be in the process of learning all the time. Here's Eduardo. The trap that we often get into is that if we if we focus only on performing, our performance suffers. That's what's counterintuitive. That's the performance paradox. And so if we want to achieve success, we need to do something other than just trying the best we can, trying to minimize mistakes all the time. But rather, we need to leap into the unknown, experiment, ask questions, listen, talk about mistakes. And that's different from just trying to perform all the time. 
So I love that you frame that as if it is a sort of a direct or even a simple idea, when in fact, that's the work of a lifetime right there, right? Where does your idea of performance and how we begin to improve our performance begin? Well, for me, it began when I started working with Carol Dweck in 2007. She discovered and coined the term growth mindset, which is the belief is a belief that we have about ourselves, about others, whether we see ourselves as able to develop and change or as fixed the way we are. For example, if we think that some people are smart and others aren't, and that's fixed in a person, that would be a fixed mindset. So for me, like that insight and, and understanding that it, it was my work to change every day, not to prove that I was a natural, uh, that was a big shift for me. But the other thing that I learned is that Sometimes people get so excited about growth mindset that we start thinking about it as a silver bullet, as you know, all our problems are solved and we become motivated learners. And what I've learned is that a growth mindset is necessary, but not sufficient. So in, in addition to believing that we can change, we also need to understand how to change and how to develop ourselves. And if you think about your question of where does it all begin, um, another way to answer that is it begins with our purpose, with our why, with what we care about, because putting effort into performing or learning for no reason is is doesn't kind of make sense. You know, it, it takes uh, dedication. And for that, we need to connect to something we care about. But what, where does it start for you? It's a great question. I think in this show, we've talked a lot about Carol Dweck's work, and, and we, we often reference it in other conversations. And even as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about how you're right. We often sort of glaze over um, this idea of growth mindset as if it's a switch that you flip, like you either believe things are static or you believe they can change. When the actual work of a growth mindset, it isn't believing that things that can change but believing that you have agency in making that change, which means that you have to understand something about how you would do it, right? Yeah, and I know it's the case with me. I had the sense that to change and to develop and to succeed and to grow, all I had to do was to work hard. Like yeah. I just had to try my best all the time. And the big insight, the big aha moment for me was when I realized that the difference between performing and learning. And to, to understand that clearly, I think it's helpful to look at great performers in domains where performance can be objectively measured, like uh, a great athlete, for example. If we look at when they're playing uh, a high stakes match, like a tournament championship, what we see is their performance, which means that they are doing the things they know best, trying to minimize mistakes. We're seeing them often making very few mistakes. And we might think that the reason they become so good at that is they've spent a lot of hours doing that thing that we are seeing. But right. actually the reason that they've become so good is that they've spent a lot of hours doing something very different from what we see, right? So at the game, if they're having trouble with a particular move, they're going to avoid that move during that match because all they care about is winning. But then after the game, they're gonna go to the coach and say, coach, I have to work on this thing that I'm having trouble with. And that's a very different activity and area of attention than what we do during the match. And often what happens in work and life is that if we only have the goal of getting things done, then we get stuck in chronic performance and then we stagnate. You talk um, about this idea of a performance zone versus a learning zone. And once you explain that for our listeners, because I think that's this is where your strategy for us begins. And it's a wonderful reference. Yes. If you take the, the, uh, the athletic metaphor or the example of an athlete, the performance zone is when we are playing a game 
with our only goal is to win the games, to perform. And then the learning zone is when our goal is to improve. And so we will do something very different. We'll say, hey, I'm having trouble with that particular move. Let's work on this. Like if, if I'm playing tennis, I'm having trouble with my topspin serve to the like back left corner. I'm not going to say just I want to become a better tennis player. I'm going to select something very specific like that and work on that and do several repetitions. And in between each repetition, I'll get feedback. So like the ball will go too much to the left and then I'll adjust a little bit to the right. It'll go to the right, it'll go to the left. And, and in between repetition, there's feedback. And there's a very specific activity that's designed for improvement rather than designed for performance. So like a, an athlete or a chess player or a ballerina or a violin player, they can spend like hours every day devoted to the learning zone in deliberate practice. But right. for most of us, that's not practical. We have a lot of things to do. And I think for most of us, the greatest opportunity is to embed the learning zone into how we do things. So it's to shift how we do things so that we do them not only with the goal of getting things done, but with two goals of getting things done while improving along the way. How we embed the learning zone into our lives and our work as individuals, teams and organizations is what it takes to improve and to increase our performance over time. So how do we learn as we go? As much as I talk about growth mindsets here on the show, I have a pretty fixed mindset about some attributes of my own life as a professional. One, I believe that I'm a very good podcast host. I believe that I'm a, a quite bad project manager in that, like, I'm not the most organized person and I'm not great at getting back to you on email. Um, but those things are actually things that I want to be a lot better at if I'm going to perform better as a professional. So a growth mindset might say, you know, I've got a lot of room to be better at replying to email. I've got a lot of room to be better at the administrative aspects of my role. How do I infuse the learning zone into my life there? Sometimes we think about growth mindset as it's about how we respond to mistakes. Yep. And re how we respond to mistakes is really important but it is re reactive, right? What, what, what I would encourage people to think about is, are you proactively driving your own growth, your own change, your own learning every day? And so I think it starts with, what do I care about and what do I want to improve at? And being clear on what that is every day um, and how we're going to go about doing that. So to build on what you're saying, if you say I'm a bad project manager, that doesn't to me, say mu much about whether you're in a growth mindset or fixed mindset until you say, I, I know I can become a lot better. Then I know that you're in a growth mindset there, right? Because you believe you can get better. You said, I believe I'm a, I'm a pretty good podcast host. I don't know whether that's a growth mindset or fixed mindset until I ask you, do you believe you can become better? If, you, if your answer is yes, then that's a growth mindset. If you believe you can't get better, then it's a fixed mindset. So a growth mindset and a fixed mindset is not about whether we believe we're good at something or bad at something, but whether we can improve. And to your second question about um, how could I get a, a, a better project manager, right? How could I become better at managing email? If, if I wanted to get better at managing email, um, I, I would research strategies of like, how have people gotten better at managing email? Like, what are some strategies that they have used? And there's probably like videos, there's probably like podcast episodes, there's books. And, and so s s searching for 
effective strategies, I definitely need to change. I definitely can't do, you know, manage email the same way today as I did yesterday because I'm not going to get better. So I, starting with the assumption that I need to change and try something different, then yeah. research, what can I do differently? Try something, see how well it works, and then iterate from there. Like just yeah. do that over and over again. That doesn't sound hard. Why does it turn out to be much more difficult to put that in practice? Well, we are stuck in inertia and we also are not clear, I think, of of how learning happens. I used to have the kind of the sense that I just had to work hard, right? I just had yeah. to just keep doing the same thing just more for more hours. I think we need, we need to understand that we need to change. We need to look for effective strategies. We need to ask other people for ideas. And we some of sometimes we don't have those habits just because we haven't learned those habits. We didn't learn those habits in school. Um, I, in our organizations, we might not, not be in those habits of so, so listening feedback and, and asking other people for ideas. So those are things that we can, those are habits that we can develop as individuals and as teams, but they, they involve effort, like deliberate clarity around how we want to behave and then effort to, to build those habits and structures. In the book, you talk about misconceptions about learning. What do we get wrong? Hmm. There's a lot of kind of common misconceptions. One is around growth mindset. When I ask people, what does growth mindset mean to you? I get lots of different answers. Like it means being open-minded or it means working hard or it means persevering. And, th and th I get this even for people who want to foster a growth mindset culture. And those things are not growth mindset. And so it's hard to foster a growth mindset culture if we're not clear on what it is. And the reason that that's important is that what research has shown is that the belief that we can change is necessary for the change behaviors to take place. And so a fixed mindset creates a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's one misconception. Another misconception is sometimes people equate growth mindset strategies with praising hard work. And sometimes that doesn't work very well. If somebody's working hard in chronic performance, that's not effective. So if we praise that and they continue doing the same thing, they're, they're not going to get better. Or sometimes we praise people for working hard even when they're not working hard. Yeah. And so that sends a lot of confusing messages. Chronic performance. I'm just pausing a second on that phrase because I think about how many times I tried to improve my own music performance by just playing something again and again. You know, it took me a while to learn that what I needed to do was everything else. The scales, the running, the playing different pieces of music. We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, Eduardo teaches us to work smarter, not harder. Stick around. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. 
I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so, we had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back. When I was reading Eduardo's book in preparation for this conversation, I noticed that he comes back to a key idea in a few different ways. The bottom line is this. While we may need to work late here and there, Consistently working long hours is just not a key to success. Instead, we should be learning from our mistakes as we go and finding ways to strategize. But that feels way harder to do than pulling a late night, doesn't it? So I asked Eduardo, how do we learn to do it? Here's Eduardo. Well, to make it easy for ourselves and for others, we can build structures that make it that easy default, right? So you work at LinkedIn. At LinkedIn, something that the top 100 leaders do in their weekly meeting in the agenda, they have a section where they talk about what people learned the prior week and what they can do differently going forward. That's a learning zone conversation that's part of a weekly meeting. It's really easy because it's on the agenda. And it, it's, a, it's a weekly reminder that learning is important. So our neurons in our brain, when we attend that meeting, is, is a reminder of what we're supposed to be doing also outside of the meeting throughout the week. And, and the more that neurons fire together, they wire together, we start think, thinking differently throughout our days, even outside of the meeting. So that's an example of a structure or a habit yeah. that makes it easy. And so what I would encourage people to think about is, in particular, is there something you can do in the morning every day that's really easy that will remind you of your intention to learn and what it is that you want to learn and how? So then it becomes automatic, it becomes easy, and then it primes you for you to do that throughout the day. LinkedIn's culture really is a culture that prizes and requires us to think about learning as part of what we're doing. We have a whole Slack channel dedicated to the things that we are learning and you get positive attention if you post in that something substantial that you have learned. But in order to be able to build that aspect of your culture, you have to begin with a culture that has the kind of psychological safety that allows for people to own up to mistakes, right? A, a learning presupposes that you did something that didn't work, right? Well, you, you might not need to start there, but you definitely need to develop that at some point. Like at Microsoft, which is the parent company of LinkedIn, they didn't have that culture. And then they had a leadership change in 2014. Satya Nadella became CEO and he and his colleagues, executive team got together and they thought about what kind of culture they wanted to build. And they came up with five things. Growth mindset was one of them. And they have been very deliberate about building a culture. And when I speak with people who work at Microsoft, they say they feel like they work at a different company than they used to. And now there's a lot more psychological safety, like you're saying. It is necessary. because Here's why. It's because often people feel like anytime they make a mistake at work 
other people will think less of them. And something you said from this Slack channel is that when people post something substantive that they learned, they're like people think highly of them, right? Yes. So, so they share their lessons. That's something that raises your social status. Often when people share their mistakes, they feel like they're going to lower their social status. People are going to think less of them. And as a result of that, they, they are going to want to try to minimize mistakes all the time. The only way to do that is to just focus on performance, on, fo on focus on what you do know best and try to minimize mistakes. And that leads to stagnation. We are human and we make mistakes at any point in time. We might make a mistake. And so when that happens, we need to be empathetic with each other, understand that life is complex, work is complex, and come together, think about what we can learn from this, how we can change our systems and, and, and habits so that we can try to prevent it in the future. Is there any danger of staying in the learning zone too long? Or is the learning zone where we belong all the time? There's a lot of value to the performance zone. When I share this work, most people have the insight of, oh, I'm just stuck in chronic performance. I need more learning zone in my life. But I definitely meet people who say, wow, I, I'm realizing that I'm spending too much time in the learning zone and I'm not spending enough time in the performance zone. Because in the performance zone is how we get things done, is how we contribute. Um, I mean, it's a main way that we contribute. We also can contribute our lessons through learning, but we definitely want a combination of the two. And I think that for practical matters in most settings, we want to be performing most of the time. We want to be getting things done, but in a way that's also leading to learning. So we want to be learning while doing. Yeah. You reference people's reactions when you share this work. What are the biggest reactions that you hear from people when you share this work? Well, first, it's amazing that people gravitate toward this, like whether it is growth mindset or learning zone, people like it, they want it, and and they say yes, right? I mean, I do surveys and between 98% and 100% of people say they really want this as part of their culture. But they also say, I don't know how I can make the time for this. That's one one challenge. Or I have so much to do. And, and then sometimes people are a little bit concerned that we performance is so important that if we start doing something other than performing, we're, our performance is going to go down. And there's a little bit of truth in that in, in just the very, very short term. So what happens is that the performance zone is the way to maximize our current performance, like immediate performance, very short term. And that might be appropriate for sometimes, like if you are, you need to finish a project this week and you're almost there and, but it's, it's a real challenge. You're looking, losing sleep. Like you just want to perform and get it done and not like defer the learning zone. But we often get stuck in doing that every week and then we stagnate. So understanding that there's very clear correlation between the, the individuals who regularly engage in the learning zone, they achieve higher performance over time. But it, it's a little bit of an investment, right? If you have to make a, a regular investment and kind of change the way you think, so you pay attention to what you can learn and you, you perform uh, along the way. But there's definitely the impression that we don't have time. So we have to figure out how do we embed this into the way we do, into the, how we work rather than have this take a lot of time. Um, and then we need to kind of wrap our heads around how this improves performance rather than hinders performance. Yeah, well put. Um, we had Sachin Adela actually on the show a couple of years ago. And as a journalist, even before I came to LinkedIn, one of the big stories I did for Wired Magazine was the turnaround story after Sacha had been in his then new role for about a year. 
And what he was able to do in terms of inspiring a group of people the size of the Microsoft employee base, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people to work differently, is nothing short of awe-inspiring. And he really pointed to growth mindset as the way that he was able to do that. Um, and, and yet, the thing that I want to try to explore here is this idea that, like, I think that the way that Microsoft employees were feeling up until that point is something that a lot of our listeners may connect with, which is like nothing could ever change, right? Like the thing about growth mindset is that you take a group of people, you take a staid culture, and if anyone has ever worked at a company with a staid culture, one of the defining elements of that culture and I think it's probably one way to talk about it would be a fixed mindset. But one of the defining elements of that culture is that it feels like nothing can change, right? That no matter who you are as a person, that ends up reflecting on you and you personally feel like nothing can change. And then you feel burnt out and stale and unhappy. And what was inspiring about what Satya was able to do at Microsoft is that he was able to start with that culture and shift it in a new direction. So what can we learn from that shift that we can apply to our own cultures and companies? Because there are a heck of a lot of us listening to this podcast who would like to live in the world you describe, but don't. We live in cultures that feel a lot more static. Yeah. So one, one lesson from that that I think we can derive is that times of transition are precious. Like in that case, it was a transition in leadership, a transition in CEO. That can be a reset moment. When you look at the research done, like the growth mindset interventions done in the research, they're yeah. usually done at times of transition where kids are starting middle school or they're starting university. They're entering a new world. Um, and that that is a particularly great opportunity for change. We can create those transitions, right? Like, I mean, Satya Nadella was a part of Microsoft before that. He was just promoted. So in a way he created that that impression of transition by, hey, we're going to be resetting our culture and these are going to be our new values. And that is something that we can do at any point in time. I think that's that's another lesson is that being clear about what kind of culture we want to build and having yeah. conversations, which he did with his colleagues, um, being clear about what are our values? What does that mean in terms of the behaviors that we want to take on? Uh, what do we expect from each other? Like, for example, do we expect um, to solicit feedback from each other? Do we expect to solicit feedback from the people who report to us? Do we want to do that publicly? Do we want to go into customers uh, asking questions or showing them our product? Like just get, getting, getting clear about what behaviors we value and want to promote. And then as leaders, communicating that very, very frequently, much more than we tend to think and, and reinforcing it and modeling it explicitly, leaders are nine times more likely to be uh, perceived as under-communicative than over-communicative. And this is something that we're talking about at company culture, but something that's really important too, and it comes also from Amy Edmondson's work, is that culture, I think the cultural unit is really the team. Like it's the people that you, you work closest with. You have relationship with them, you have norms, you communicate with them, you want their esteem. And so what they value is really important. And even in companies with strong cultures, 
the cultures of teams can vary a lot and you can build. So if, if your agency is mostly like, first, we have the most agency around ourselves as individuals and how we interpret things and what our behavior is. But then we have a lot of agency also around the people who are immediately with us in our teams. We can, we can affect change there. Uh, I mean, a catalyst can be simply just learning about growth mindset or learning about learning zone and, and just sharing that with your team and starting a conversation. And then people start to gravitate toward it. You can start thinking about, uh, do we want this? How are we doing with respect to this? Can we improve? What are we going to work on together? I really appreciate that idea because I think it gives us a place to begin no matter where we sit in an organization. And it points to the truth of an organization, which is you ask 50 people what a company feels like and you're going to get 50 different answers. A company is the sum of all of the smaller communities within that company. That's what the culture it is. It's how the culture is composed. And that means that those of us who are, I guess the right word would be middle managers, but those of us who are in the trenches managing small teams of people, we have this uniquely important role that sometimes I think goes underrealized in that we set the course for the larger company's culture with the cultural standards that we set for our small teams, right? Absolutely. And I would go even a step further and say, as an individual contributor, if nobody reports to you, like you can have a great impact on the culture of your of your team and your influence. Uh, and anybody anybody can lead from wherever we are and inspire our colleagues to see things differently and to act differently. So we can start from where we are, um, and and there's ripples that come from that, right? When we see success and we have a fantastic team, and other people learn about it, and they might ask questions, and you can grow from there. That was Eduardo Brasino. His new book, The Performance Paradox, is on sale now. Check it out. You know, I take so much from this conversation, and there are a few things I really hope you will remember, too. First of all, we operate best when we can design a mix of learning times and performance times into our workflow. It's not about doing everything all the time as hard as we can, but instead building a way for us to take what we learn from one thing and apply it immediately to the next. Second, being very specific about our areas of improvement will help us grow. In other words, I'll probably be more successful at working on responding to important emails within one business day than trying to generally get better at my email, you know? Third, making learning easy for ourselves is another path to success. As Eduardo pointed out, a lot of us already do this here at LinkedIn by putting a moment to reflect on process into our meeting agendas. And with that, we're bringing back a segment we haven't had in a while here on the show, our quick tips segment. You know, we talk so much on this episode about working smarter and not harder. It's something we actually chat about a lot here in the Hello Monday studios. We have this colleague, her name is Haley Saltzman, and this is basically her motto. So when we knew that this was going to be such a theme of the episode, we invited her to join us in the studio. Haley's job here at LinkedIn, where she's a senior editor, is to help teams grow their social media strategies. For today's quick tips, she's sharing her perspective on working smarter with all of us. Number one, the most important thing that I've learned to do is to delegate. Early on in my career, I absolutely would work harder trying to do everything myself rather than asking for help or trying to assign work to others. 
I quickly learned it was not sustainable. And so now I really like surrounding myself with a really capable, highly skilled team that knows how to accomplish work and get things done. And I insist on delegating to them daily. Another tip that I would recommend is really about what Eduardo calls learning times versus performance times. It's related to that. Um, Blocking off time on your calendar. That's something that I love and that has been really helpful for me. I'm someone, especially working in social media, where I might get pulled into a lot of different conversations and projects each day. And I tend to want to just jump right in and start working on them. This is in my nature. And so blocking off specific time to do the deeper work has really saved me from myself. When I block off time on my calendar, I am alerting myself to the fact that I said I would do this deeper thinking during this period of time, and I'm also blocking off the calendar so that other people don't reach out with with additional projects. Um, It's really a way of holding myself accountable and ensuring that I do save the space for the, the deeper work. The last thing that I really recommend is getting clear on the business reason or the goal behind any project that you're being asked to do. I think when someone is asking you to do something, they should generally have an idea of the why behind it. And if they don't or if you don't see how it it ladders up into larger business goals, you should get real clarity on that so you don't waste time working harder on something that might not actually be worth your time. Thanks so much, Haley. And now it's time to hear from all of you. We're going to pick up this conversation about how we all work smarter, not harder at this week's office hours. I'll go live on the LinkedIn news page this Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern, along with our producer, Sarah Storm. Bring a snack, bring some insights, and we'll all get better at doing this together. If you're not sure where to find the link, drop us a line at hellomonday at linkedin.com. You can also join the conversation in our Hello Monday group. It's a great place to meet and chat with other listeners. Sarah and I are in there just about every day. Haley, too. We hope to see you there. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn News. Sarah Storm produces our show with help from Lolia Briggs. It's engineered and mixed by Asaf Gadron. Our theme music was composed just for us by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Michaela Greer helps us all embody a growth mindset. Enrique Montavo is our executive producer. Dave Pond is head of news production. Courtney Coop is head of original programming. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel. We'll be back next Monday. Thanks for listening.